0: Welcome to this mini episode of The Balance. It's an Ask Catlin episode. And today I have Noelle Gutierrez joining me. She is the newest member of the Blend Education team. So I've had the pleasure of, gosh, we've known each other for years. I was down in Palm Springs doing work and had the opportunity to kind of get to know you. And now we're working together um, doing blended learning trainings, which is very, very excited. So thank you for joining me.
1: Yes. No, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be working with you and Um, You know, I love everything that you've been doing and I've learned through you and over the years talking to other teachers and everything about this. No, I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. And hi, audience.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. And this is the first Ask Catlin where I actually have another educator lobbing me questions. And so I'm super excited to kind of hear your two cents on some of these questions as well. So Noelle's going to throw me a question. I'll answer it. We'll see if Noelle wants to kind of add to or share a different perspective. And then, of course, at the very end, she'll uh, kind of spring a surprise question on me as well. So let's get started. You can ask that first question. So
1: I know a lot of teachers say that they're nervous about what students will do if they have more control in the classroom. Mm -hmm. How do you set that stage for success? How can a teacher set that stage for success?
0: Absolutely. So when we are blending learning, right, we're giving students more control over elements of their learning, like the pace and the path, they are going to be more self-directed in a classroom, right? The models create this time and space for teachers to work with individual students and small groups of students, which leaves the rest of the class kind of up to themselves to drive the learning, to lean in, to accomplish tasks, use each other's resources. And I get that that shifting control from teacher to learner is really scary. So when I train teachers and we're talking about setting the stage for station rotation or whole group rotation or the playlist model, it's a real focus on Are you building a classroom culture in which students know exactly what's expected of them and have opportunities to do some soft skill building? So one of the things that I think a lot of teachers are probably doing right now is whipping up their syllabus, putting a bunch of rules on it, handing it to students when they come that first day. And students don't have any ownership over those rules, right? They don't, some of them don't even read through their syllabi for the different classes. And I think that's problematic. I think it's much more, you're going to have much more success if you engage students in a conversation about what should we be doing in this environment, right? We have kids who have been in school for years and years. They have a lot of prior experience. Why aren't we tapping into that? Why aren't we asking them to reflect on moments in school where they felt safe taking risks and engaging in conversation and collaboration? What was it about the space or the teacher or the environment that made them feel comfortable doing that? Let's tap into those those moments. And then what were moments when they didn't feel safe Uh, offering an answer or engaging with classmates? What was it about that class or teacher or their classmates that made them not feel safe? And from that past experience, let's identify norms and expectations and agreements that we think are going to keep this classroom feeling safe. Because ultimately what teachers need to be trying to do is create a learning community, right? A place where all students feel safe taking risks and engaging with each other in authentic ways. And so starting the year and having that be a conversation, a kind of a co-creation of agreements. And I get it. That means some of the agreements for different classes might be different. I think it's worth trying to figure out how to stay on top of the agreements for each class instead of saying, oh, it's just easier for me to give them all the rules and hope they follow them.
1: Oh, I love that. I have to say, too, um, I actually have a teacher that I work with at my site who last year started doing station rotation and some more blended learning. And this year she started off with the social contract for each of her classes. So they were actually a little bit different on expectations. But then when she went to practice the station rotation, Mm -hmm. she felt like it was much more successful this year than last year because the kids did uh, feel safe. And then they felt like they had kind of a say-so in what they were doing a little bit because she gave them some choice on the um, assignments that they were working on. But it was was very exciting to see her. She's only a third-year teacher, Mm -hmm. but to see her saying this was extremely successful, like the social contract really worked and my station rotation for the first practice was amazing.
0: Yay, I love that. And I also think, You know, once you have that social contract, that class set of expectations in place, let's be really clear about the path of consequences. I think oftentimes power struggles that exist in a class happen because students make a choice, teachers react, there's a consequence, and students throw their hands up and they're like, wait a second, what are you talking about? It's like, well, let's be really clear. If there's a misstep in a lesson, station rotation, playlist, whatever the models that we're using here's what's going to happen. Maybe it's a verbal redirect. If that's not enough, it's a physical move to an isolated space in the room. If that's not enough, now we're having you do a safe space reflection or getting a parent involved and then just be consistent. So for me, it's like class set of agreements, clear path of consequences, clear and consistent you know that for me that eliminates a lot of the issues in a classroom
1: oh those are great tips for started the school year like that's that's exactly (laughs) that's how you do success set up a successful school year honestly and then even with students like even when it does come to consequences and stuff but when talking to them about okay you're off task during this point Are you choosing to get back on task or do you choose to have me call home? Do you choose this or do you choose that? And them taking ownership that way and framing it in that sense. Like if you continue this, you can either, we're going to have to talk, but do you choose to get back to work or do you choose a consequence? I love that. They get back to work because it's, again, they feel like they have that choice.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I think that our our expectation that these young people are going to spend five to six hours a day in classes focused and on tasks the whole time, is just not realistic. I right. can't do that in my office alone working. So yeah, saying, hey, this isn't working. Here's your choice. And then from there, there's a consequence or they get back to work. I love that. Yeah. All right.
1: Okay. Uh, Next question. How do you help students develop self-efficacy as you onboard them to blended learning?
0: Yeah. So how do we help students to feel confident, right? That they can navigate these new types of lessons and learning experiences? Because for a lot of students, they may not have had a bunch of exposure to these different models. So I think one of the things I notice in my coaching role is that teachers who are excited to try something like station rotation, they'll just kind of throw kids in. And they miss all these little steps that I think will make students feel much more confident that they can truly direct their own learning. So for many teachers, and I, I work with a lot of teachers at the elementary level who do this beautifully. They they kind of skip that step of here's the model. This is what it looks like. Now let's practice. And we're gonna actually start like a rotation with learning activities you're already comfortable with. I'm not throwing a bunch of new stuff at you while you're learning how to navigate this type of lesson. And then you kind of build from there. So I think so often they're under teachers are under so much pressure to like get through the curriculum and you know, keep pace with pacing guides that the idea of like pausing for maybe an entire class and saying, here's how this type of lesson works. And let's physically move between these stations. And let's talk about what it looks like to sit down and read or watch video directions, you know, read text directions, watch video directions, where are the supplies going? Like all of those little steps. And even at the high school level, practicing things like transitioning, practicing things like putting materials away, right? All of those little pieces, they just gain confidence so that hopefully as we start to use these models more consistently, they know what it looks like. They know what it sounds like. They know what their responsibilities are in these different learning kind of modes and they feel more like they can be successful, right? There's no guessing what the teacher wants. There's no like, what are we supposed to be doing here? So don't skip those steps. Clear explanations, models, practice start slow, know it's not going to be perfect in the beginning, and that's okay. Students are learning how to navigate these different instructional models.
1: Oh, absolutely. And even thinking about when I used to implement station rotation, and even working with teachers when I was an instructional coach, like the first time that we practiced something like stage rotation, it literally was practicing. And these are middle school kids. These are 13, 14 year old kids I'm working mm-hmm. with, but it's standing up, pushing in our chair, walking to the next station, sitting down. But truthfully, those little tweaks at the beginning of the year, whenever you're starting to implement blended learning, mm-hmm. really do help the kids become successful and they know what the expectations are. Yes. So it eliminates a lot of um. A lot of those issues. And I know I even wrote a blog that you posted mm-hmm. um, on your website that talked about just practicing it the first time. And then that second time practicing it, I love what you just said, something that they're familiar with, mm-hmm. because you never want to tell kids like, oh, go do this with something that they've never done. Right. So even if they're middle school and high school, and I say, oh, I need you to go use this activity. They've never done it. And you're working with a small group they're, they're going to have some problems, and they're going to mm-hmm. have some, they're going to have issues navigating the task themselves. So it is, it's really important to things that they're familiar with, things that they know that they feel comfortable with.
0: Yeah, and I, I'll tell a slightly embarrassing story. So I remember I was coaching halftime and I was teaching high school English halftime and I had been using station rotation. We're like several months into the year at this point. And I remember going from my high school class and their rotations, the transitions were not great. And I had assumed because they can almost operate a vehicle, we don't need to like literally practice what, you know, responding to a cue, packing up our things, standing behind our chair, walking to the next station. And I was like, oh, they're high school. They don't need that. Okay. I was super, super wrong. <laughs> then I go into the, the next day I go into a third grade class with a teacher and I'm the coach in the scenario and his third graders transitioned. And it was like under 45 seconds. Oh. It was the most organized, precise trans transition I'd ever seen. And so the next time these kids were going to transition, I literally said to him, can I just videotape your (laughs) students transitioning? So I literally, with my phone, videoed them transitioning, and it was just magical. I went back to my class the next day, and before we went into our station rotation, I said, okay, I need to show you guys something and they watched these third graders transition. And I was like, this is what you're working toward, right? And we need to stop right now and really put a transition routine in place. And we need to practice it. And I remember because they saw those third graders knocking it out of the park, they were like, Oh yeah, we don't do it that well. And then they were, they were totally down to practice, but it's like, it was just that moment of like, Oh, you skipped a step, Catelyn. You didn't practice with them. You didn't have a clear routine. You need to go back to the step one and really make sure they know exactly what's expected. Cause it's not fair to get frustrated with them because they're eating up transition time. If I didn't really give them a clear strategy and we didn't practice it.
1: Yep. No, it's true. I mean, we forget as they get older, but they're still kids. They still need that reassurance and to know, and then the encouragement as well after they do it well, like way to go, you know, even speaking of transitions, like a little tip that I learned years ago, um, years ago when I did station rotation, but I didn't know it was called station rotation Mm -hmm. um, until I like met you and talked about blended learning, but it was playing the last, my transitions were always one minute to 30 seconds, but playing Mm -hmm. the last, like clip of a song
0: Uh uh-huh
1: And so when you play the last clip of the song, a familiar song that the kids know, like they start moving quickly because they know the song's going to end soon. So that's even like an extra tip if you need to like make sure your transitions are shorter. Yes. Last clip of a song, last 30 seconds, they know the song's about to end. They go and they sit down right away and they get started.
0: When I was coaching in your district, there was a teacher who used Mission Impossible music during transitions and that just got those kids so fired up. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen
1: yeah no as a coach I gave them I gave them like mission impossible jeopardy like a couple different ones like here you go I yeah. did the last minute of I think a weekend song If oh <laughs> it so was fun. the instrumental version but it helps yeah okay um let's see another question how do you handle unproductive behaviors in a blended learning environment I know we touched on that a little bit but
0: yeah I think it's there is that clear path of consequences so for me it's do not ignore bad behavior, right? If you're running a teacher-led station, first of all, make sure your furniture is arranged as much as possible so that you have your eyes able to kind of scan the room. Even if you're running a small group rotation, teacher-led station in a rotation or meeting one-on-one with students for grading, kind of side-by-side assessments or a conferencing conversation, you want to be able to see the entire class. And if there's somebody doing something that they should not be doing, I would just pull the e-brake on my teacher-led station or that conversation and call out the student, like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. What are you supposed to be doing? Okay, do that. There's your verbal warning. And then if it happened, I again, I always had what I called floater desks up against the wall, kind Mm -hmm. of on their own. Every kid has a bad day. Every right. kid kind of has those moments where they really struggle to interact with students. It might be a student with an IEP for something like emotional disturbance who actually needs in their IEP a safe space apart from a group to be for a period or for a moment when they're struggling. And it might just be a, you know, a kid who... It's just tired or something's going on outside of class, and they're they're acting out, right? So you have these floater desks where you can have them kind of separated from a group. They can kind of continue their lesson on their own, the pieces that they can do on their own. And then if the, if it ends there, fine. If they continue to distract from that floater desk, then the next step for me was I would put a safe space reflection on their desk. So mm-hmm. pause, pause what you're doing. I'm putting this on your desk. It's asking you in your own words, what is happening for you right now? How is it impacting me, your teacher, your classmates, yourself? Like, what do I need to know about this situation to better support you? Like, so it gets them really reflecting on and having to kind of complete this reflection form. And then if they had a safe space reflection at the end of that class, they have to talk to me about it. So we have a conversation. I want to hear them, understand what's going on. 90% of the time, what was happening had nothing to do with my class. And then, yeah, and then we troubleshoot how to avoid doing it in the future. Like, what are some strategies so this doesn't happen again? And they always knew for me, if in like the same grading period, you had to fill out that safe space reflection twice. Then we got a parent involved because now it's like you're you're or a family member. We need somebody at home to understand that there is this reoccurring, unproductive behavior. And it was cute because there was a few moments for sure when a kid had landed in the floater desk and they were about to transition from floater desk to like now you have that space, that safe space reflection for the second time. And I'd be like, okay, this is the second one in this grading period. Are you, are you wanting to involve your parents? And you just see them be like, nope, (laughs) I don't (laughs) want to get them involved. And they would, they would stop the behavior, right. Or they just focus on the work. So for me, that was my path and it doesn't work for everybody, but having that clear kind of path of consequences, being consistent. And also just like, can we build in a reflective practice? Can we have conversations with kids? Are we communicating with families about what's happening in classrooms?
1: That's mm-hmm. part of the building relationships. I yeah. know with my kids, even with some of them, I had what we call quiet passes. Mm-hmm. So they got three a trimester. And if they came to me and handed me a quiet pass, that meant like, please like, don't, I need to work alone today. I'm having a moment. I'm having a bad day. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes even before they got into class, they would say like, if we're doing station rotation, a, like here's my quiet pass. Like I need to work at that floater desk. I need to work separately mm-hmm. because as they get older, they, they are learning. Like I'm trying to stay out of trouble. I know that this isn't going well, but they were still doing the work, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a quiet pass that they, that just told me like, please don't call me today. <laughs> Talk to me later but Mm -hmm. I just need some time away from everyone else. I'll do my work and talking to kids about that. I think that they appreciated it, especially when I was working with middle school because it just showed them too. I cared about them. Like I cared. We all have bad days some days. Um, But I also, yeah, I love the idea of the floater desk and then having those self-reflection pieces also important. Mm
0: -hmm. I also
1: talked to my kids about when I first would introduce, um, The blended learning model station rotation, I would talk to my kids about like, I'm working with a small group right now. So this is my time with them. And -hmm. when you're misbehaving and you're, you're taking my time away from these kids, Mm -hmm. like, I also want to give you time when you're with me. So having that conversation with them up front also really did help like minimize a lot of the distractions. Because again, I would say like my time, My time with this group, they're like, oh yeah, sorry. And they went back to work because you just talk about the importance of it. Like I want to give you guys all my attention, but I can't do it if I'm having to monitor you in the back of the room when you should be on task with something else.
0: Yeah. And what you're speaking to is something that I think is such an important point, which is We know as educators why we're doing something. We understand that using a station rotation design allows us to work with small groups to differentiate instruction or differentiate modeling sessions, give students feedback, conference about their progress. But- They might not understand like, well, why do I have to do these things by myself? And so really being cognizant to kind of make that why the value, the purpose of an instructional approach Mm -hmm. visible to them is so critical and also highlighting, hey, these are the kinds of skills you develop when you are regulating your own behavior and you're driving your own learning. I just think sometimes we skip over that why because we know what it is, but then our kids like don't really value what's happening because they don't understand it.
1: Right. Like, what is the purpose of doing this? Why yes. am I doing this? And the kids, they need to know the why. Like yeah. we all need to know the why. I mean, even totally. with our staff uh, this year, we're talking about what is our why? Why are we educators? And because mm-hmm. that will help us serve our students better as 100%.
0: well. percent. hundred percent.
1: Okay. Um, what routines and expectations help you keep your classroom running smoothly?
0: Yeah, I think one of the the things that is remarkable is when I go in now as a coach and work with teachers, it's the ones who do have some routines in place that are the most successful and that can be things like hey we start every class with a welcome activity and every student when they walk through that door they sit down and they know how to access it maybe it's something in their notebook or maybe it's something online in the learning management system so it immediately kind of centers them gets them focusing gives the teacher a little space to take attendance and respond to questions or check in with a kid who is absent those little routines and exit activity at the end of a class period where it's really designed to kind of share some formative assessment data with us. But it also, again, it kind of gets students thinking about what happened today. I'm also a big fan is the of metacognitive routines. So the more we are releasing control to learners, and as we said at the start of this conversation, that's super scary. I think the more we also have to lean into helping students think about their thinking, think about their learning, right? So maybe that welcome task on Monday is set a goal for yourself this week. What's something personally, academically, behaviorally you really want to work on? And I, it's so funny that you mentioned the kind of start with why is I use that Simon Sinek approach with this one goal at the beginning of the week, which is set that goal for yourself. And I, I never controlled it. It didn't have to be academic in nature. It could be behavioral. It could Uh be something personal. And I would say, why is this important to you? So the center of that kind of golden circle bullseye was like, hey, articulate the value. Why is this meaningful for you personally? And then how are you going to work toward that this week? What what actions, what behaviors, what things are you committing to do that you think are going to help you make progress toward this goal? And what will achieving this goal look or feel like for you? Again, it's helping them to understand what they want to work toward in this class. And then routines like having regular kind of self-assessment practice where they have to think critically about their work and they have to kind of reflect on their learning and then reflective practices. And again, that could be something as simple as end of a week, like tell me one thing you learned, a skill or a or a, um, a concept and how you learned it and what questions you still have. So it's not just about the routines if we do this first, but I think it's also those thinking routines that can be so incredibly powerful.
1: And thinking about what you mentioned earlier too, like when you showed your students like the video of the third grade like yeah. the, student, the third grade students transitioning, but even having like pictures up on the walls and stuff, sometimes I realize helped. So I would have a picture, like, what does it look like when we're lining up to go out to a fire drill? And I mm. would have a picture and it was kind of a funny picture where it was me and a bunch of teachers like standing um, <laughs> still, or what does it look like when you come in and what should be out on your desk? Yes. And so it's kind of giving those visual cues too. Um, I had one on my bookshelf. Like, what does the bookshelf look like when you're done reading these books? Like, what Mm -hmm. should it look like before you walk away? But just having those expectations and showing kids this is what we want it to be. Because, again, we sometimes forget as they get older, like they are kids.
0: Yeah. And those visual reminders are so important because just like it's some students are going to take in new information reading and some like to listen and some like to watch something How do we accommodate those different preferences, even in how we make directions and expectations explicit, which I love?
1: Right. Absolutely. Uh, How do you encourage students to develop their self-regulation skills?
0: I think this is really where a focus on social emotional learning and, you know, self-regulation can be a beautiful pairing, right? I did a whole blog and a whole podcast series on the five core competencies of the Castle framework for social emotional learning. And so are we building in routines that help students to become more self-aware, right? Do you even know how you're feeling today and like why you feel that way and what's happening for you? Are you able to self-manage and and what are some strategies you can use to self-manage more effectively? And so often when I hear people talk about social emotional learning skills, it's almost like this additional thing that they feel like they have to do but for me all of these skills of you know relationship skills and that you know the the social awareness and all of it's so incredibly important to a class community functioning well right and that we often think of you know classroom management because it's so frustrating when those behaviors distract from learning but like how are we also really encouraging this community to work more harmoniously together. And that really starts with an understanding of self. It, it It's developed when we think about how we're building relationships in our class, how we're getting students thinking about other people's perspectives. So for me, that social emotional learning and figuring out how to integrate some of that skill development into the fabric of our classes and our curriculum can be wildly beneficial to students in terms of their development in their self-regulation skills and their ability to kind of be members of a dynamic learning community?
1: Yeah, it reminds me, I had um, some teachers that I worked with last year, they started developing Um, it could be done in like whole group rotation or station rotation, but started developing a task where kids were working on those self-regulation skills. And it could be anything from journaling to watching a short video to breathing techniques, but Mm -hmm. they would incorporate it. It wasn't the whole day. It wasn't the whole lesson, but it was just a time where kids had a chance to reflect and the kids really did like it. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that they were growing from it too. And they were reflecting on their behaviors. I know even when I would have kids, I have students work a lot with, um, like cooperative learning groups, mm-hmm. but I would always ask them at the end, like, let's reflect on how that went. Like, yep. how do you think that conversation went overall with your group? How do you think you contributed? And can you set a goal for doing better? Cause we can always do better. You can always yep. do a little bit better each time. So let's set a goal for how we can even improve next time. But it does, it gets them thinking about everything and getting them um, to understand where they are and what they're coming from and what they want to work on and what they can work on.
0: No, absolutely. I love a reflective practice at the end of almost any, especially those activities at stations where students are working together and they're navigating a task of like, hey, last three minutes, do a self-assessment. Give them a simple rubric. And like you said, what's one thing you did well? What's one thing you want to work on? What's a goal you have for yourself? Just getting them thinking about how they're showing up in this class is critical. And I think it's easy to kind of overlook those things or feel like I don't have time for them. But the the time we invest into helping students develop some of these strategies is so worth it. Like, I, I can't tell you how many classes I'm in as a coach where the transition between learning activities is like the teacher needs a minute to do something. And so they're like, OK, you can have the next, you know, two or three minutes on your personal device and then we're going to transition to the next learning activity. And I'm like, Why not use that as an opportunity to do a body scan, right? Or a breathing technique or something a little bit more centering and nurturing than like now I'm going to zone out on my phone while my teacher is kind of getting the next pieces of the lesson in place. So I think even those moments before a transition in a rotation of some kind can be used to just very quickly teach students a technique that hopefully they can carry into their lives outside of school.
1: Right. And they're, they're powerful techniques too. Yeah. And you do, I mean, with our students and I, it, it's hard sometimes and they go through a lot too that we don't, we don't know about. Yeah. And so giving them those opportunities to regulate themselves and like to try to find their baseline, it, it, it is very helpful and it helps them throughout the rest of the day as well. Yes. Like I truly believe that. I truly believe that.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: So I have a fun question for you. Okay. So I don't think anyone's asked you this, but if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why?
0: This is so easy for me. It's the ability to control time.
1: Oh my gosh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even that I want
0: to like rewind and flash forward. I just want to be able to pause it whenever I need more time for something right there are just not enough hours in the day so whether it is pausing time so i can dive further into a project or whether it's like i'm exhausted i need to take a nap but i don't have time for it it's just if i could manipulate time that would be magical
1: that is actually mine too. Did you ever, when you were growing up, was there a show on called Out of This World? Yes, with Evie and she yeah, was her fingers yes. together.
0: Yep, yep, you guys can't see us, but we're on Zoom, both doing the Evie fingers together to pause time. And that's exactly what I would want to be able to do. That, that show was mine was,
1: too. Like if yes. you need an extra nap or you just don't have enough time in the day to get things done. How funny.
0: No, that's <laughs> hilarious. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this episode, Noel. It was so thank fun you. to be able to talk to another educator about these questions and I had done Definitely appreciate your perspective since you've been a teacher, you've been a coach, you're an administrator, you've worn all the hats in education. So fun to get to have your perspective on this as well. And for anybody listening, you can find me on Twitter at Catlin underscore Tucker, on Instagram at Catlin Tucker, and you can send your questions so I can include them in a future episode of The Balance.